So you've got a podcast or an idea for a podcast or no ideas yet, but you want to start a podcast. Whatever stage you're at, G Media Solutions is here to help you take your podcast to the next level. We are a podcast production company based in Atlanta that specializes in audio recording, video live streaming, and all the elements you need to make your podcast thrive. To fulfill your podcast needs, contact us on Facebook and or Instagram at G Media ATL. Before the start of this episode, I wanted to tell you about another podcast that I am producing for my friend Aisha. It's called the Botanica Podcast. I wonder what she thinks of that pronunciation. But anyway, <laughs> uh, here's a trailer for the podcast. You can subscribe to it uh, anywhere you get your podcast, just like ours. Here it is. Oh, go. Welcome to the Botanica Podcast. This is your host, Aisha. Listen in as we discuss topics like love, health, sex, relationships, and even alternative medicine. We stream live every Sunday at 8 on Facebook. Listen to the Botanica Podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to stop by our Botanica every Sunday. We have a lot to share. There's another podcast I want to tell you guys about. It's called The Barber and the Bartender. There's a barber, there's a bartender, and they talk about pop culture, sports, music. And of course, because one of them's a bartender, there's going to be a drink of the day and he'll give you a little history on different libations. So uh, tune into The Barber and the Bartender on Spotify, Apple Podcast. They're on Facebook. Here's the trailer for their podcast. Come to my chair, you catch a fade or get a taste. This shit gonna hurt tomorrow. Mm-mm. But it tastes good today. It's gonna hurt right now. I'm at the bar mixing up drinks and conversation. Yeah, no, I'm just a part-time dirtbag. Don't do that. You're a superstar. Yeah, we the ones you talk to and we your favorite. I'm a barber. You know what I'm saying? Niggas put it got their permanent hair, I know. You know what I'm saying? I just said that's like, my I, hero. You gonna hold it on the perm? First of all, niggas that have nappy hair, put permanent <laughs> hair, have baby hair. It's the barber and the bartender, the best podcast in the nation. Man, I have more energy. Hey, you're done. You're done. You're done. By the time you hear this podcast, you'll want to change your song title to I'm David Ruffin, and these are The Temptations. One week after listening to Fall Out Boy. Two whole weeks of listening to Fall Out Boy, yeah. Yeah, it's been three weeks of listening to all these Fall Out Boy songs. One month of listening to Fall Out Boy songs. Welcome to By the Time You Hear This Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. <laughs> <laughs> those goes, those are those spot on Patrick Stump. That was very good. <laughs> uh, we are back with another episode, episode 204. Thank you to everyone who's downloaded and listened so far. And um, yeah, we're back with another one. So yeah, yeah. 
let's uh, go ahead and jump into some music news. Um, try not to make this too much of a habit by starting off with um, on a somber note. But um, DJ Casper, who you may know from the worldwide smash Casper slide, cha-cha slide. I think it was called both, right? I've heard it called both, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, y'all may know it as the cha-cha slide or the Casper slide, but DJ Casper, the creator of that, uh, passed away. Um, let's see what uh, wouldn't happen. He, um, oh, he had, he had cancer. He had cancer, 58 years old, uh, passed yeah. away uh, Monday as of this recording. Uh, it's from Chicago, which I feel like all the black DJs come from <laughs> uh, Chicago. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's known. He was uh, definitely known for for that song. And um, man, when did that song come out? I feel it was like sometime in the late nineties. Um, this says a two thousand. Two thousand. Okay. Oh yeah, essentially late nineties. Essentially. Yeah. Um. So that you know, you've heard that song at every. Um, wedding, uh, prom, um, wedding anniversary celebration, uh, going away parties at the office. <laughs> um, you know, that song, um, everyone knows as soon as you hear it and know how to do all the, all the moves and all that. So, um, that's what he'll be known for the most. Yeah. Um, he did say, that uh, there was just an interview he had back in May um, when uh, talking with ABC7 out of Chicago. He said, when I first did it, I did it as an aerobic exercise for my nephew at Bally's. Ah. <laughs> from there, it just took off. Elroy Smith from WGCI grabbed a hold of it. And um, then, yeah, he ended up taking this the song all over the world. Um, it's been played at all the stadiums, hockey, basketball, football, baseball. They played it at the Olympics. It was something that everybody could do. Yeah. Um, and then he eventually toured with, uh, James Brown. That's interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and then he said in 2016, he was diagnosed with two kinds of cancer, renal and neuroendocrine, which is kidney and liver. Ooh, ooh. And um, they tried, he said, they went in and tried to do surgery. They found that the kidney was connected to the main artery. So they decided not to do it and just treat it. So, um, yeah, they did the, the best they could to try to treat him. Um, and he did leave um, a message for, for those struggling with cancer. He says, anybody that's going through cancer, know that you have cancer and cancer does not have you. And uh, he survived by his wife, Kim. And she said in a statement, Casper was a fun, loving, giving person. He was a genuine family oriented man. He loved Chicago with all his heart. He will be greatly missed. So rest in peace to DJ Casper. Uh, that song will definitely live on forever. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah. So, yeah, props to him. Um. In uh, some other news, uh, well, Ben, you saw it. I don't know if you saw anything new in the last few minutes <laughs> since you mentioned it, but um, 
I know we haven't talked much about uh, about Tory Lanez and the case with um, the shooting uh, involving Megan Thee Stallion, uh, but it just came out that he has been sentenced to ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, who's the who's the source for that? I just just curious. Uh, well, I got the update from Reddit, but it's it's coming up everywhere. NBC, CBS, People um usa today so yeah it's it's making its rounds at this point so yeah he's been uh sentenced to 10 years um uh, after he was found guilty and uh, prosecutors described it as a repeated and grotesque attack and um yeah so this the shooting happened at a party in 2020 uh, where Megan Thee Stallion was shot in the foot and um, he uh, was found guilty of three felony counts of assault, one with a semi-automatic firearm, carrying a loaded unregistered firearm in a vehicle mm-hmm. and discharging a firearm with gross negligence uh, before being sentenced he apologized for his actions and he took full responsibility. Um, it is possible. Well, I did read like through, um, you know, his lawyers are working on where he would uh, appeal. Of course, they're going to appeal and they will file for bail when they file for appeal. And um, it is possible that rather than him go to prison, he would just be deported since he is Canadian. I, I think don't think that I realized that. Yeah, that, that was a possibility. But they're supposed to be nice. <laughs> oh, man, that's okay. I don't. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, so what, just deported back to Canada and face justice there or? No, he would just be, be deported sent home. Don't come back. Interesting. Okay. Um, and Somebody then say the, that's an upgrade, <laughs> considering how things are here right now. <laughs> uh, the deputy district attorney, Alex Bott, who was one of the prosecutors, he said Lane's called Megan a liar, intimidated her, and harassed her. He said not only did the defendant do the heinous act of shooting her, he then subjected her to two and a half years of hell. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, this was one of those and part of why I, 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 I mainly hesitated to talk about it is that in this case, a lot of people picked sides as if and it made it come up and like give their analysis as if they were there. And two, like it's a yeah, they weren't like it's a like it's a basketball game like yeah. <laughs> it's like these aren't like one person's wrong and so that means the other person's right or um in some way if you said that uh megan deserved it uh, i thought that was kind of weird people came that way a lot of people were on on tory lane's side um but deserved it though come on folks (laughs) yeah there was nothing that it wasn't and like it the only way that he could have um, not to say gotten away with it, but been exonerated is if he like actually didn't do it. 
like those people on his side, they weren't like they didn't have another theory of like mental duress or something. Yeah. Insanity. (laughs) It was just he should be not guilty. Like why? Because he's Tory Lanez. Okay, all right. Good enough, right? No. <laughs> Cause he made that freestyle on that Twitch stream that one time. It's not Come how this on, works, man. y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta do better than that, man. So yeah. um I'm not really surprised that he was that he was found guilty. Um I didn't know the how serious the charges were. I didn't know the exact charges, but I know in California. Um, well, maybe probably in every state they can be like nitpicky, like this turned into a felony assault <laughs> with a semi-automatic <laughs> weapon and with, with gross negligence Yeah, and carrying it in a vehicle. <laughs> so, you know, um, Sometimes the like it can you could be committing multiple crimes with one action and not even know it, yeah, and, and not know it at all, man. So yeah, um, so yeah, they're going to appeal. We'll see what happens. Uh, I think the prosecutors asked for thirteen years, um, and he ends up getting eight. Uh, the the charges carry a maximum of twenty two years. Ooh, and. Um, the prosecutors, like I said, they noted that he traumatized Megan Thee Stallion with social media posts about the trial, and that led to his followers to target her. Uh, so he tried to use the Internet to win the case. Um, and uh, one of his attorneys said, we're nowhere near that yet when asked about uh, deportation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in seeking a shorter sentence, his lawyers argued for probation and that he'd be released from jail to a residential substance abuse program. They claim that Lanes has an alcohol abuse disorder, anxiety and post-traumatic stress from the unexpected death of his mother when he was 11 years old. He's 31. Uh, not to say that's a long time. I mean, it is a long time, but yeah. I guess to not get help for it and trying to use it as an excuse now it's kind of to like hold something like that in your back pocket you know <laughs> that's I don't know I I don't I don't buy it as far as like trying to use it now like it's very convenient to try to use that now and I, yeah. I don't think that's going to that's not going to help him, honestly. Um, and uh, prosecutors said they were skeptical of those claims, <laughs> which were not presented at trial. So this they didn't even like use it in defense because it's probably weak. It's probably very weak. <laughs> um, and then the prosecutor not said, saying that the death of his mother is weak. That's not. But I'm just saying like it, it's probably like him to use it being as, able to prove how it affected him. Yeah. Probably not a lot of evidence other than something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the prosecutor also said, uh, this case has nothing to do with mental illness. He shot Megan because she bruised his ego. Dudes out here be crazy, man. Yeah. And this could, (laughs) I the thing about this, like this could have been worse. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he like shot at her feet 
like you see in the in the westerns or in cartoons where people like shoot at someone's feet, <laughs> like, tell them to like dance. Yosemite Sam. <laughs> I don't know if it was that situation, that kind of situation, but I think some and some people probably don't know really how bullets work. Like, yeah, you can shoot at the ah. ground and then it can bounce up and hit someone in the face. Well, he is Canadian, so maybe you know, maybe. Um. Uh, it could have been a lot worse, though. I mean, I think about the friend of um, of Brandon Miller, who shot and killed a girl mm-hmm. because he got rejected. So this absolutely could have been worse. I mean, like not saying that, like, hey, you're lucky your foot got shot, but you're lucky that's all they got shot because there have been. I know of that one, and I want to think there's another instance of someone who got rejected who shot the woman and killed a woman. Oh, that was probably like. You know, Somewhere in Atlanta, I feel like it was like two or three cases of um, some woman walking home or walking to her car from work or something. Some guy tried to say something. Uh, She's like, no, thank you or whatever. And then um, because she wouldn't give him her number, he like stabbed her. Yeah, dudes are some of these dudes are wound very tight. (laughs) I don't know why. Um. Well, it's it's an effort to try to seem cool and to try and, and you know, um, not be embarrassed. I mean, no one wants to be embarrassed, but some people handle that very poorly. I don't yeah. know exactly what she said to him or what she did, but if it was enough to get this kind of reaction, you know, it it's I guess she is fortunate that it it was just, you know, um she got shot in the foot. Like I said, it could, this could have been a lot worse. So that's why mm-hmm. I think that's why he got this kind of sentence too, because it could have been a lot worse and that's just not being aware of it in the moment. Um, the lawyers for the defense also for these are Tory's lawyers said, um, they countered with, when, uh, the prosecutor said, because she it bruised his ego, they countered with, there's a clear thread between Lane's trauma and heavy alcohol use uh, that led to his violent actions. So he drank a lot. Um, this is kind of like the Twinkie defense. I don't think I know the Twinkie defense. All right. So the Twinkie defense is... Um, this was like the nickname for it, but remember the uh, like the movie uh, Milk with Sean Penn. Uh, yeah, did he try hard at that movie? Yes, he. Yes, he did. Yes, he. He tried. <laughs> did he so get an hard. Oscar for he that? He won one? an Oscar for it. Yeah, there you go. Oh god, <laughs> and that's why he tries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but beside the point. Uh, so it's based on a true story, like with Harvey Milk, the first openly gay man to uh, win a um, city. To win a government um, position, position, like a, yeah, city a, council, a, right? Yeah, city council um, in San Francisco, and uh, I can't remember the man who shot him. It was Dan, Dan something. But um, with what Harvey was trying to do in the community, protecting um, the LGBTQ community, um, you know, some people didn't know how to really deal with that, <laughs> so. Uh, this uh, it's Dan something I can't remember his name I know Josh Brolin played him in the movie 
Um, so when I think he's like basically being ousted of city council or he's losing his spot, losing his position funding or something like that. So he goes to the um, city hall and he shoots the then mayor of San Francisco. He, he murders the mayor. And then um, I think he shot one other person. And then Dan White, Dan White, of course. But uh, um, and then in the movie, just from what I saw in the movie, like he um, brought Harvey into a room and then he uh, then he shot him twice, killing him. And I think he I know he didn't. um, I think he may have spent like. Eight years in prison, basically, for like double murder wow and um his lawyers argued that you know after losing his job or whatever that event was um he was his decision making was affected by him eating a a lot of junk food and a and a a high sugar diet no way so people started calling it the twinkie defense (sighs) (laughs) tell you man these these lawyers that take their job serious, it's almost like you don't want to get mad at them. Cause yeah, when you're a defense lawyer, like you, literally you try their job. every trick in the book, every loophole you can find. You trying to win. Make them try on the glove. Like just whatever you can do. <laughs> whatever you can do. <laughs> That's why we oh, have all God. these jokes about lawyers, man. Like they... They will do oh, anything God. for that win. And uh, like I just I just finished watching the mm. second season of The Lincoln Lawyer. Um, yeah they 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 pull some shenanigans to try to <laughs> to try to um uh you know get the get the client you know found not guilty. So yeah. <laughs> you, you're gonna see that a lot. Um, and, uh, uh, Tory Lane's lawyer said that someone has to be severely off to shoot someone because of a bruised ego. Oh, so they're just trying to add into it. Like, see, because, you know, because of his mental health. So if someone bruises his ego, it's liable to set him off. Like, come on, man. (laughs) The judge was also disinclined to allow those factors to influence (laughs) his decision. And um, lawyers for Lane's played a lengthy video showing footage of his charity work and family life. Too late. Uh, which um, Bot said looked more like an award for man of the year than a misogynist and coward convicting of shooting an innocent woman. Mm. Mm. That's all I'll say to that. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, um, I don't know what's going to happen and, uh, we'll see. I I think he eventually will just get deported back to Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, another, another, some other news here, Celine Dion, uh, is suffering from a rare, I think it's a neurological disorder called stiff person syndrome. And uh, she may never perform again. Uh, her 
um, sister provides some updates on her health, uh, saying we can't find any medicine that works. Um, so they're trying everything. Uh, it's a yeah, it's a rare neurological condition. Um, trying to find that's unfortunate. Because she, I didn't know that she's only fifty five, but then I remember she started young. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, she started when she was like what eleven or twelve. Yeah, I mean, she was work. I feel like she was working with um, our guy um, David Foster, like in her late teens, early twenties, or something yeah. like that, when he saw her. Yeah. So yeah, she's she's been at it for a minute. Um, yeah, uh, it's a rare neurological disorder. If not treated uh, or left unmanaged, it can become debilitating. It kind of sounds like ALS. Um, mm. And uh, it can be managed using specific antibody injections, anti-anxiety drugs, and muscle relaxants. Um, but uh, in trying to find something, I guess, consistent, there there is no cure for it, according to um, according to this. It can cause muscle rigidity and muscular spasms. So, of course, that's going to affect her performing. So, yeah, she may never perform again. Um, but, uh, I guess she's going to do everything she can to find some, um, uh, a treatment for it basically. Um, in other news here. So, um, as I mentioned to you, Ben, before we started, um, a lot of people love the, um, King's Disease series from Nas, and he just put out Magic 2. So he's put out five albums over the last five years. At most, it's been a six-year period. Um, But for him to put out these albums and for him to, you know, we've talked about before, it seems like the younger generation of rappers always target him as like someone who's not that good or not relevant. But I think beyond his fan base, uh, a lot of people like what he's put out, the last few projects that he's put out. So uh, he said recently that um, he wants more rappers from his era to put out music. He says, I don't want to hear the trends. I want to hear the art. And I think that is what's kept some artists from putting out music, not that they're like afraid to do it, but it's like, it won't be promoted the right way just because it doesn't sound a certain way or they don't have, um, some certain artist on it. Yeah. I'd be curious if they would, you know, I mean, I don't know how many of them are in record contracts, but you know, self-releasing, there's never been an easier path to self-release than there is now. And if you're popular enough, you, you've probably, I mean, you might be able to sell a, a, a few hundred thousand if that doesn't bruise your ego, hmm. you know. Um, but I'm trying to think, like, who are Nas's contemporaries, though, outside of, like, a Jay-Z who does, you know, are, I guess it's kind of retired. And I, th- I don't think it would be fair to say that to Jay-Z because Jay-Z not only continued to release music, but also kept with the trends of the time. 
like he always sounded like he was quote unquote in the moment but like I, who are Nas's contemporaries i think it would be like um i think you put eminem there you can put um snoop there who who he still puts out music it'll be different genres but he still puts out music um yeah. common i think is Ooh, one yeah common's common's acting you're not gonna get him to put out an album. Uh, well, he's please put out. Um, he did. Uh, he's put out a couple albums in the last maybe five years. I think he's put out two or three albums. Um, okay. And he has the the project with Robert Glasper, the August Green project. So he's put out some stuff, but it's like it's not like it's not promoted the same way because he's older and you know it's not trendy. I yeah. think that's what Nas was getting at. Um, and I didn't even yeah. know. So that goes to show what I know. Um, I think um, Outcast will be one. It's basically Big Boy. I know he's still, he's always working on stuff. Um, well, Big Boy still puts out stuff. I'd like to, I guess, hear from Nas because I'm looking here, didn't even realize it 2011, 2014, 2016, 2019, 2020, and 2021. Common has put out albums. See? I know that Big Boy regularly puts out albums, and they're all really good. Um, shout out to Matt, who I know is a big fan. Um, so I guess I just, I would like to hear from him, because the big stars are putting stuff out. Like, does he mean, like, Camp Low? Like, I, I don't know. Like, are those guys still alive? Uh, Yes. I feel like they just put out something new. I feel like they just oh, put out goodness. a new a new song at least. I feel like I just saw that. <laughs> like I'm just trying to think of you know, Az. I don't know. Is a I think is in Az dead though. No, no. I feel I think he just put out something new. What the, what the word? <laughs> I think he just put out a new song or or maybe a new album. But no, at least a new song he just put out. So like there, the artists are out there. Um, I think he's just encouraging more of it, you know, because yeah. if we look at like the best rap album, when he, he won best rap album, Nas did at the Grammys, uh, last year or the year before. And if you look at the other albums in that category, it's all of these older guys that took the time to put out a complete album a whole project mm -hmm. it wasn't just this singles thing that's been going on for the past i, I would say 10 years uh where you know no one's putting out a complete album is what someone and i know someone say well what about future and drake look those guys have put out yes they've put out a lot of material they put out a lot of albums but as far as anything sounding cohesive or what the the good songs are, it's not like multiple on one album. It may be one song here, one song there, and basically you got ten songs across ten different albums. So it's like, so we're just listening to the singles. We're not listening to like the other things on that album that make it uh, the project stand on its own. There's not enough of that. That goes for Drake and Future and. <clears throat> 21 Savage and you know I you know no one talk to people talk about their songs not their albums 
Um, yeah, he know. just came out with something in in twenty twenty one. Door die two. So, yeah. See, so he's still. Yeah, I guess I would ask. Pete Rock was on there too. I didn't know Pete Rock was still making beats. Um, that's pretty dope. These guys are Pete still Rock, doing stuff. Buckwild. Yeah. Did Pete Rock work with? Um, did he ever work with the Beastie Boys? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. He may he that. may have remixed some of their stuff. I don't know if he worked with them directly. It's they came possible. they came up the other day on um, Hip Hop One Hundred and One on Reddit. Someone legit asked, "Did people actually like the Beastie Boys <laughs> <laughs> back in the day?" And like you just had all these people in New York saying, "Oh yeah, no they they were getting a lot of play." Um, let's see. No, I don't people probably they... like like their album Paul's Boutique over everything else they've done. Yeah. No, I'm not saying anything here about Beastie Boys. I, I could have sworn he worked with them, but maybe he didn't. Mm. Oh well, I'll look into that later. I don't want to hijack it, but mm. I, I I am curious though who who Nas um, considers his contemporaries and who he'd like to see come out with new stuff. Like if there's anyone in particular, because I think honestly he could probably work with them. He could just reach out and be like, hey, you want to, you know, do something? Yeah, let's make some music. <laughs> um. So do it for that segment of our our music news. Uh, ben, why don't you tell us about your cover song of the week? All right. So I heard this today, actually, and it is wild. Um, I want to think Brandon is onto this band as well. I think we got into them right at the same time because of TikTok. They're called Lake Street Drive, and it is a cover of Linger by the Cranberries. Rest in peace to Lord Raiden. Um, it's different than the original song, which I do love, but it works. I'll just say that much. It works. All right. So this is Linger by Lake. It's Lake Street Dive. Oh, my bad. I thought, I, hold on. Lake That's Street Drive, isn't that that movie with Sam Jackson? That's Lakeview Terrace. <laughs> Lakeview I'm all over the place. But yeah, Lake Street Dive, yeah. All right, we'll be right back. That is Linger by Lake Street Dive. Uh, that was Linger if it were released in 1986. <laughs> I know, man. It's, mm-hmm. it's wild. It's They've got two cover EPs 
Um, and a really, really good cover I would suggest checking out of Nick of Time by um, the incomparable Bonnie Raitt. Um, they do it justice. Um, such a great song that just the meaning just continues to mean more as I get older because it's a song about getting older. But um, man, such a great that would be a good album to cover in the future. Nick of Time or um, was it Luck of the Draw? Was the one right yeah. before that with something to talk about? A great two run <laughs> album, two album run. Because one, which one was it? Both of them were nominated, but only one won album of the year. Yeah, I think she won for Nick of Time. Okay. Yeah, both solid records. Yeah. Um, so let's get to the charts here. Now, uh oh, I don't know <laughs> what what happened, but what was predicted did not happen. Stop it! It didn't. Uh, it's not even in the top ten. Yo. So it was projected. Not not predicted by us, but it was projected through news articles that Chai That in a Small Town would be the number one song on the Hot 100. At the very least, it's not in the top 10. Let me see if it's even on the charts at all. That's insane. It's, but I listened to oh, wait, it like a hundred times. Wait a second. Wait a second. I'm kidding. I'm wait joking. a second. I did not. Wait a second. Wait a second. My bad. My bad. Last week, it was number one. So, so it had we, a one we, week, yeah, yeah, okay. one week run. <laughs> so basically, because we recorded last Tuesday, so yeah. literally, it was wow. Okay, yeah. So it had a one week run of being number one. So it was number one last week. It fell to number twenty one this week. Yikes. <laughs> so, so I guess the Morgan done. Wallen does not work. Uh, not for everyone. <laughs> well, maybe with the boat fight, Montgomery brawl. I would not. Yeah, the War of Montgomery, or the Battle of Montgomery, the Montgomery Tea Party. I've heard it called the Fade in the Water. That was one of my favorite. Fade in the Water. <laughs> fade in the Water. <laughs> um, a lot of people have been calling, like, using that song as the theme song to that song, as as that fight. Um, I even saw someone selling. I think I sent it to you guys, an embroidered hat, and the discount code is Aldine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hat with a chair on it, a diamond encrusted chair, and the yeah, and the code is Aldine to get a discount. So I wouldn't be surprised if I mean if if I'm putting my conspiracy hat on, if somehow they orchestrated this fight <laughs> to sell more records. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That's my prediction. <laughs> um, so it, it fell Talk 20 about spots. A fall from grace, man. Talk about a fall from grace, my lord. Yeah. Um, so uh this week, back at number one, last night by Morgan Wallen. <laughs> uh number two, Fast Car by Luke Combs. Number three, debuting at number three, Meltdown by Travis Scott featuring Drake. Uh, number four. So the the I think it probably would have been it's this high without the Egypt concert. So with it, maybe it gets to number one. <laughs> but mm -hmm. without it, debuts at number three. Number four, Cruel Summer by Taylor Swift. That is not a Banana Rammer cover, as far as uh, I know. No, it's not. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
I'd uh, probably like it if it was. <laughs> <laughs> number five, debuting at number five, Fiend. I, I heard the song. It's pronounced Fiend by Travis Scott featuring Playboy Cardi. Number six, Calm Down by Rima Selena Gomez. Number seven, Fuck You Mean by Gunna. Number eight, Barbie World by Nicki Minaj and Ice Spice with Aqua, produced by Mark Ronson for the Barbie movie. Number nine, Vampire by Olivia Rodrigo. And number 10, Dance the Night by Dua Lipa, which is also produced by Mark Ronson for the Barbie movie. Let's look at the Billboard 200. And uh, the album came out just last week. uh, So number one, debuting at number one, Utopia by Travis Scott. Number two, debuting at number two, Austin by Post Malone. I don't know what this album sounds like. Uh, no, do I. But I don't. I, so is he coming back for his for the title, you know, of having that run? Like, are we going to see beer bongs and Bentleys and um, Hollywood is bleeding and Stony? <laughs> <laughs> Their sales come back up and they'll be in the top 10 again. Uh, I'm so, curious. I'm curious. So uh, Austin is number two. So number three, One Thing at a Time by Morgan Wallen. Number four, Barbie the Album. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it's called. Uh, Of course, various artists um, produced by Mark Ronson. Uh, Number five, Speak Now, Taylor's version. Number six, second EP, Get Up by New Jeans. And they have a Powerpuff Girls inspired cover. That is awesome. (laughs) Um, so I'm guessing this is a K-pop group. You would be correct. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, number seven, Genesis by Peso Pluma. Number eight, Midnight's by Taylor Swift. Number nine, Dangerous the Double Album by Morgan Wallen. And number 10, Lover by Taylor Swift. And we'll look at the Artist 100. He's got two top 10 songs. He's got the number one album. So number one this week is Travis Scott. This is his third week ever at number one. Number two, Taylor Swift. Number three, Post Malone. Number four, Morgan Wallen. Number five, Luke Combs. Number six, New Jeans. Number seven, SZA. Number eight, Drake. Number nine, Jason Aldean. And number 10, Peso Pluma. Mm, So he charts higher on this than his song. Last week, he was number four on this chart. I'm surprised he. I'm, didn't I'm drop telling his you, far. man. <laughs> the 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 Montgomery brawl. He's gonna see some. Uh, I'm predicting that now he's gonna be higher. It'll be funny to see if it really happens. That'd be hilarious. Um. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Just because like there's a song. I, have you heard the song Montgomery Brawl? I have not. I have not. Oh, that that's the name of the song, Montgomery Brawl. Yeah, someone made a song called Montgomery Brawl, and they like the the whole thing happened Saturday. This song came out Sunday morning. I feel like the internet is undefeated. Like there's people out here, and what's crazy is they do this for free and just hope for like money somehow. Yeah, here Man. this is this is Montgomery Brawl. Just want to play it real quick. Stop playing with these niggas. Let go. <laughs> 
Hey, I'm really proud of y'all. Montgomery Brawl. Not one but a mall. Montgomery Brawl. Shout out bro that can swim. Montgomery Brawl. Who shit really all of them? Montgomery Brawl. Shout out Unk with the chair. Montgomery Brawl. Everybody that was there. Montgomery Brawl. Threw the hat off at the start. Montgomery Brawl. Man, shout out to the girl. Montgomery Brawl. Now y'all done started some shit, so we gon' finish it. And this time, everybody about to witness it. Bro told them to move, just doing this job. But y'all wanted to jump him, so now we got a prize. Alright, bet. Let me tell y'all what really happened. Heard they was jumping on my cousin. Let me off, Captain. Cuz came out the water like, let's get it cracking. Unk came with the chair like I got some action. Cuz came no shirt like I got Sebastian. I got Even the women getting hit like, damn, what happened? Hey, this shit was kind of lit like, damn, it's cracking. I even seen a rock bottom like, damn, this wrestling. Seen a couple of them boys go night night. And we got the first black man to swim to a fight. Salute. If you mad at this story, <laughs> fuck that. That chair going down in history. Hey, I'm really proud of y'all. Montgomery Brawl. Not one but a mall. Montgomery Brawl. Oh, Shout out, bro, that can swim. Montgomery Brawl. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> so that's uh, Montgomery Brawl by G Matt Cash, and that is on Spotify right now. <laughs> Stop it. Okay, that's fast. Yeah. I think the song came that's out like Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. How did he get it there that fast on Spotify? I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. That had to be some, he had to pay some money for that. Yeah, That's, that was yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, That's, I'm just That's enjoying, the most Wow. I'm enjoying all the memes and the um Yeah, just all the reactions to it. Some companies that have made shirts. Um, some people are honoring the guy, the a black man invented the folding chair. Um even though to be exact, he invented a kind of folding chair that's kind of more like the school desk today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but hey, look, still counts. <laughs> um, oh my god, I mean, the cover is a play on um, Avengers Endgame with them coming out of the portals at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! I've seen that picture, but that is brilliant. I'm sorry, that's brilliant. Oh God. This is why I'm telling you, man, like when people say, like, make America great again, this is as great as it gets. We weren't getting this. In the, we weren't getting this in the 50s, the 40s, the 30s. We weren't even getting this in the early 2000s. This is the golden age of entertainment. If anything, we're over entertained. Yeah, <laughs> that is great. Oh, that is mm, magnificent. Wow. And I, I've been seeing um, like the memes I've seen, like you know the picture of Malcolm X holding the the shotgun, looking out the window. Someone was mm-hmm. doing the same thing, but they were holding a folding chair. <laughs> oh God! I have seen a lot of people with the Avengers theme playing, like the hammer that comes to Thor is the folding chair. Yeah. Um, oh yes, we were like either, have it like they just hold their hand out and then yeah, the chair and then the chair just comes <laughs> to them. Or like when we saw the hat go up and then the Avengers theme starts and everyone just starts to run because <laughs> the hat goes up. I mean, uh, this has been this has been top tier. It really has been. It's been top tier. Uh, someone posted a picture of. Um, I don't. I mean, I I'm I'm not into comic books, but I didn't know if like if this was a black Superman and another and like green lantern or something like that. I can't remember who the other character was, but it's like, um, like black Superman comes over. Hey, Calvin, what, what's going on? And then the other guy's like, 
Uh, someone just threw up their hat. I don't know if they need us yet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is a, I don't know his name. There's a black man, of course, black Green Lantern is John Stewart. Oh, yeah, um, there was someone named Calvin. I remember that being in the. Calvin, I believe, I think that's Black Superman's name. It's, I've not read Black Superman, but I'm aware of him. Okay. But I'm very familiar with John Stewart, the Black Green Lantern, because he has become, over the past 20 years, I would say he's become the favorite, even though they used Hal, um, not Kyle Rayner, but I think Hal um, Jordan in the Ryan Reynolds movie, because of the cartoon that came out in the late 90s, early 2000s, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, everyone loves John Stewart. And that's why they were going to get Common to play him because everyone loves John Stewart as as a Green Lantern. He's become everyone's favorite. All right. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, that's. I think it's. Um, I've just en- I've just enjoyed the whole thing, and you know, there are some people who have the criticism of of the black people who were involved, and um, I think it was just a just a moment in which when there is some form of uh if someone needs help because it basically was like eight eight these eight white people and this one black guy eight on one yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like oh we need to help him yeah <laughs> it was a guy who worked there. it was an employee like come on yeah it's just a serious, he's a <laughs> i don't know how many guy. people or how many of them that came to help were at were employees but like everyone just coming to help like this is Whatever it just looked unjust. <laughs> what was it Ron Ron White said? I don't know how many it was gonna take to whip my ass, but I knew how many they were gonna use. <laughs> like that's what it felt like. <laughs> I didn't know how many people it would take to overpower them, but I knew how many they were gonna use. <laughs> um Yeah, it was insane. Have you seen the reenactment? Um where's like some people at a pool? I saw yeah. like a little bit of that. It might. I was like, that might be funnier than the actual fight itself because they're just like, <laughs> they're just. I don't know. That was just funny to me. It was. I don't know. Especially with the guy who was supposed to be the guy swimming, he got out, but instead of fighting immediately, he's like squeezing out his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole. Yeah, it's been. Yeah, this has been great. This has been great. I can. I love it. So that'll do it for our um, music news. So, Ben, tell us about your earworm of the week. Hell, next week it might be my bro. <laughs> that song is awesome. Um, but it is, uh, I have no clue who this guy is. His name is, as far as I can tell, Joshua Bastian or Batian. I'm not sure you pronounce it. The name of the song is Escape. I heard it. Um, some guy was doing a live on TikTok where he was like, you know, post your music and I'll review it. And so he posted, someone, I guess, has to play the song. He's playing it. Surprisingly, he did not care for it. He did not think it was good. He claims to be a famous A&R or something like that, working with, like, big artists. I'm not sure. Why are you on TikTok? I don't know. But I thought this was an excellent song. Um, so, yeah, I've been listening to it a lot. All right. So this is uh, either Joshua Bashan or Batyon Escape. And we will be right back. It's safe to say Things may never be the same We look the other way But somehow end up face to face 
Joshua Batyon and you can find that on our BTT YHT Earworms of the Week playlist on Spotify right now I liked it I'm gonna add that to my yeah I don't understand why that guy didn't like it add that to my summer 2023 list I was like, yeah. if you don't like this, I'm not putting anything of mine in there, bro. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't stand a chance. Does it not sound trap enough? Is that what I don't know. Thinking? I don't know. No, it is. I mean, you know, not saying that white people can't like trap, but it was a white guy who was reviewing this music. So, no, I don't recall who he worked with. What I had was heard good? of the people. I did not hear him say anything was good the whole time so maybe he's just like a simon cowell you know hmm. like you've got to be like <laughs> you've got to be like leona lewis kelly clarkson to impress him you've got to be you know it's like you no mid you just gotta be <laughs> you got you gotta be like the most phenomenal voice i've ever heard hmm. so well, uh, i don't even think yeah. he even I, and i still remember watching videos of him like back in the day when Lewin and Lewis was performing and he still didn't look impressed, but he said he was, but he didn't look it. <laughs> <laughs> That's gotta be like very frustrating. <laughs> mm. He's trying not to show it. I guess so. <laughs> All right. So we started this, um, this episode with uh, a video I saw on TikTok. It probably came out maybe a year ago. Um, TikTok creator named Cloudy McDoom. Uh, what a name. He's um, a lot of his content is related to um, anime and video games. Um, but he, <laughs> he, um, his impression of, uh, of Patrick Stump um, and the progression of listening to fallout boy. Uh, that is one of his first videos that went viral. It went viral on Instagram. And I, oh, nice. I okay. saw it on um, on YouTube today. Um, so we'll be talking about Fallout Boy's album from Under the Cork Tree. Came out in two thousand five. Um, yeah, almost twenty years ago. We were we were in college then. 
um what was that uh junior year or third year i guess yeah maybe the end of the yeah 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 that would be yeah um that's what it would have been or the end of our um no that would have been our third year there yeah that sounds right um so uh I think we were familiar with Fallout Boy at the time because of Grand Theft Autumn um, and their first album, Take This to Your Grave. This was the album that really put them on the map. Um, yeah. Songs like Dance Dance, Sugar We're Going Down, um, A Little Less 16 Candles, A Little More Touch Me. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think this, I don't know if this is considered emo's crowning achievement for that era. Um, Ooh, I, I, I think it is actually, I mean, but there seem to be some people who don't think it is. Well, you know, uh, this wave of like, emo, it's kind of like, how and not, we, yeah, it, well, it's, like I said, like, it's kind of like, like maybe with the first album they're, they're put into that, into that group as that style is becoming popular. But then, you know, there are going to be people who, you know, they prefer Dashboard Confessional or they prefer. Um, so a lot of the know, comparisons I saw of, as far as their contemporaries, the people they're really being compared to were My Chemical Romance. Yeah. So I I'll start out by saying I do think that this is at least of that of that era, the best emo pop punk album. Um, some people say that it's Welcome to the Black Parade, which I think maybe there might be like a like a mysticism that surrounds that album. Like it's not a bad album, but I don't think it's better than their first three cheers for Sweet Revenge, which some people think is better than um, Take This to Your Grave. I think Take This to Your Grave is better than both. Um, I just think it it just was the perfect marriage of pop punk and emo. And like even more so than being emo styled, emo sensibilities, and like the the long titles of songs, just the the subject matter, it was it just I don't know. Dare I say this? I don't know if it's too early to say this in, in the podcast, but I'll say it. I think it was that that generation's Dookie. I don't know if that's too big to say though. <laughs> that I'm is, just uh, that's that's a little heavy, man. Um, I know there's some people who probably know, like Dookie. We're talking about Green Day's album. Green Day's album Dookie, which was considered like it put pop punk on the map. It was con it's considered by some the greatest pop punk album ever. Um, it definitely put Green Day on the map and was, I mean, some a lot of people kind of from the Gilman scene in in the Bay Area kind of stopped messing with them <laughs> after Dookie came out. They're like y'all sold out. And I think if I remember correctly, they were banned from ever playing Gilman. Um, and then re later they were unbanned, like in the 2000s. And they actually went back and played, you know. Uh, but yeah, who do you think, who do you guys think you are? But in any <laughs> case, <laughs> I think it was kind of that important. And I wish I could find the article again, but like there were, there was an article that kind of pointed out all of the bands that came after this album that we probably like Paramore. You think of Panic at the Disco. There's others that I can't think of, but those are the first two that kind of come to mind that played that brand of emo. 
that were like, you know, that um, Fall Out Boy kicked open the door for. Yeah, I mean, like, this is, I know the run wasn't very long of this style or, or what the kind of what it meant. Um, let's see what other bands will be included. Taking Back Sunday. I mean, hell, hell uh, used. Fall- <laughs> um, God, what's the name? Um, God, I, I forgot the name of the band now. Um, Panic at the Disco gave us one album. <laughs> yeah. And then they're sneaking down. They're like, we're the Beatles. It's like, what are you? <laughs> <laughs> and now they're just like, I mean, he's they've gone full Adam and the Levines. It's essentially just Brandon Urie and some, it's him some by people. himself now, ain't it? Yeah, it's him. He's and the only some one people. left. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's like they they clearly didn't believe in the sound. <laughs> um, Story of the Year is another band. Oh yeah, I forgot uh, about them. Some people may consider Blink One Eighty Two as a predecessor. Um, yeah, Jimmy Eat World, uh, say anything. The Juliana yeah, American... Theory. Oh man, yeah, that's a, that's a um, good band. May Hawthorne Heights. Yeah. Uh, AFI. A uh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yellow Card. Uh, who I, I also have notes on as well. Uh, Jack's mannequin uh, from um, the mind of something corporate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, we all know someone who listened to like all these bands. We know one person and like just kind of lumped them all together, even though yeah. now as we've matured, yeah, these bands are different, but they kind of got lumped together. Um, yeah. Definitely. Uh, Thursday, that's another band. Um, I love Thursday. Death Cab for Cutie. Uh, Modest Mouse, even though I wouldn't put them as an emo group they're, either. Just they're to, one hit. <laughs> <laughs> is for, to have the following they have and to be considered a one hit wonder is wild. <laughs> um, what was it? Who's another band I just saw listed? Coheed and Cambria. Um, the Mars Volta, I know they were put in that category. Taking Mix Sun, the Get Up Kids, brand new. The Get Up Kids, I love the Get Up Kids. Brand new is, is solid too. The All American Rejects. I uh, think, as a matter of fact, I think the All American Rejects are a direct like a mix of Fall Out Boy meets Blink One Eighty Two. Like they definitely have some punk pop punk elements. When you think of like this ends tonight, and that sounds like something straight out of Infinity on High by Fall Out Boy. <laughs> <laughs> like you like I just hear those through lines. Um so yeah, like this was this was a time where there was a lot of these kinds of bands and I think you could kind of say like this was the last era of of rock music being popular. I mean, not necessarily high on the on the charts like we hear with a lot of hip hop and and mm-hmm. and and pop today, but as far as them having that major following and still possibly getting, you know, radio airplay or significant publicity. Um, this may be the last mm-hmm. era of that. So with, um, with under the cork tree from under the cork tree, um, Pete Wentz, I saw in, um, an interview recently, he described the album as, the anxiety and depression that goes along with looking at your own life. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you look at the album cover, there's like some onlookers looking at a what looks like a movie screen and you see a truck um, embedded in, in snow. And that was based. Uh, I'm sorry, not a truck. Well, yeah, a truck and a van. van, a truck and a van. Yeah. And this was based on the on a um, a road accident they had prior to mm. recording the album. Um, and then under the from and then under the cork tree was a reference to a book. Um, I can't remember what the the exact book was. I'm trying to pull it up real quick. Okay, uh, the story of Ferdinand by Monroe Leaf. Uh, the story focuses on a bull named Ferdinand who would rather sniff flowers under a cork tree than participate in fights. The album cover features a van with a trailer in a slump of snow. This is a reference to the car accident the band was in while they were driving to New York City to film the video for Grand Theft Autumn. So, so yeah. I know you mentioned knowing them from that album were you into fallout boy back because i i wasn't really into fallout boy on that first album take this to your grave uh no i had heard that song uh grand theft autumn i had at least heard that song because of you mm-hmm. and uh there was like a dance remix i heard also of grand theft okay. autumn um and then uh i guess more of my uh indoctrination if you will uh, <laughs> to fallout boy <laughs> Was um, I heard Sugar were going down a lot, but Dance Dance being featured on Madden, um, I think it was Madden 06. Um, let me make sure I get that right. I think it was, um, yep, 06. Yeah, yeah, it was on Madden 06. So for those playing like those games before. You know, this was pre-Twitch and YouTube, y'all, with, you know, playing the, being on the video game soundtrack with these games. Whenever you're playing it, they're just playing the the soundtrack yeah. constantly. So you hear all of these songs, thousands, if, well, hundreds to thousands That could be a Because times. 5 right there for Madden songs, because I know Seether, um, <laughs> Fine Again. Yo, I don't even know what happened to the was band. Mad, that that did, I think uh, that was Madden 03. I think that yeah, was Madden 03. Yeah. That was in the dorms. That was in the dorms. And uh, that and that song, um, Walk Away by, ah, um, oh God, it's like the one where he's like, tried to be a better son, a better man, a better friend, something like that. That yeah, got played on Madden 03. Like, I remember that soundtrack, just the hours. Um, I think Audio Vent was in, on there. Yeah, Audio Vent. Okay, energy. go. Okay, go. Uh, yeah. Nappy Roots. <laughs> <laughs> yep, but it was the remix though. The, the remix, rock remix. The rock remix of all oh, no. With um, the dude from uh, uh, Pod. Yeah, it's from Pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did Pod have a song Man. on there? I don't know. If so, it had to be "Rock the Party" because that was their big single. Yeah. I don't, I don't think "Youth of a Nation" was on any of these. Not, I don't think that was out yet. No. Yeah. So that that makes it a you know that stand. It, why it stands out to us. That's another um, interesting time. Uh, Was that McNabb on the cover? Yeah, Donovan McNabb. I I don't think I realized who was on that cover. I know I had this one, but hmm, okay. 
Um, I think this was the first one that was on the 360. Yeah. Okay. So there was a lot of stuff missing. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff missing off of that, off of the game. Um, so people just go back to the, to the Xbox for that. So, um, yeah. So what, uh, Neil Averin served as a producer. I never considered doing, um, an episode about him, whether because five yeah. just his history. Uh, he I know I've brought him up producer. a few times on here. Just he's produced a lot of the rock music that I'm, I like. Um, I, and I've got his discography just sitting here in front of me. Just so like things that I off the top of my head, ocean Avenue, Yellow he did card. that album. Yeah. Yellow card catalyst by newfound glory, new surrender by Anne Berlin. He did the mixing on Minutes to Midnight, which I know is a controversial take, but it's my favorite Lakin Park album. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's done a lot of he's done a lot of really good work that I like. So much for the Afterglow as well. Uh, it's one of his earliest, I think his earliest um, work, which was the one that had what Father of Mine and um, Everything to Everyone, which is a great album. Um, so, uh, one thing that also kind of stood out, I don't know if how much it, like a, a percentage of how much it helped fallout boys popularity. Um, and I thought that all of the, um, I thought all of the, um, emo bands did this were with the song titles. <laughs> the, super long, super long. Like and sentences. for the most part not even related to the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I mean, like, so let me see here, because I've, I've picked out a, you know. Like, Sugar well, Going I, Down I just, is part of the hook. Dance Dance is part of the hook. But a, yeah. a, a something else, something like, uh, uh, well, the best our, one our lawyer on the, on made the whole, us change the name of this song so he wouldn't get sued. That's the best title on the whole album. <laughs> Possibly in the history of, <laughs> the history of their entire existence only because of the story so you know in the intro of course greg says um this is david ruffin and the temptations i'm david ruffin and these are the temptations yeah that's that was what the they original wanted to call title the of the song that's what they wanted to call the song <laughs> <laughs> and their lawyers made them change it so that they didn't get in trouble so they didn't get sued um but they said that you know the song is essentially even though the lyrics nowhere in there the song is really about fame and what it can do to you yeah. And of course, if you've seen the movie, I know we talked about it, you know what fame did to, I feel like you have to call him the David Ruffin at this point in search of a David or a David Ruffin at least. So I I, I don't know if, if maybe he thought Patrick Stump might be like, you're just a fallout boy in search of a <laughs> Patrick Stump. I don't know. <laughs> oh man. I love that intro. I was trying to play through the mixer. Okay. My, uh, thing isn't cooperating, but y'all get it. It, it. That's the first track of the album. Um, so, uh, yeah. So with the, the, and then there are other, you know, these, it's not part of the, it's not a lyric, most likely not a lyric. You have one called uh, nobody puts baby in a corner. <laughs> dancing. <laughs> They have a song called uh, I've Got a Dark Alley and a Bad Idea that says you should shut your mouth. Summer song. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, sophomore slump or comeback of the year. Uh, champagne for my real friends. Real pain for my sham friends. Uh, Tom Waits reference. <laughs> I slept with someone in Fallout Boy, and all I got was this stupid song. Um, and then one that was actually a single is "A Little Less Sixteen Candles, A Little More Touch Me," which was originally a little more Molly Ringwald. A little. Hold on, let me see here, because that's that's a funny title. A little less Molly Ringwald, a little more Samantha Fox. Yeah. Okay. So they just made it the. The a movie Molly Ringwald is in and one of Samantha Fox's yeah. songs. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably someone was probably once again, guys might get sued. Like <laughs> you can't keep naming these songs after people. Um so yeah, so let's get into some of the songs here. Um the first single is Sugar We're Going Down, um, which uh was I don't know if it was all over the radio, but it was very popular. Uh, Definitely all over probably, MTV. It's probably the first song that a lot of people would associate with uh, Fall Out Boy. Um, so, what are your what are your thoughts on that on that song? It was a slow burn for me. I knew a Fall Out Boy, but I didn't listen to this song for a while because the video just kind of was like uh, kind of weirded me out a little bit. You know, you got the kid with the antlers on his head and they're throwing stuff on the antlers and bullying him. Um, and then I just eventually just started listening to it and I, I, I kind of got addicted to it. Um, especially the chorus. The pre-chorus is really good as well. Um, but yeah, just I love really kind of everything about it. Like the production on it's solid. Once, and I'm going to say that a lot about this album. Because Neil Averin or Averin, however you say his name, um, one thing I've noticed through everything that he does from a recording standpoint, he really takes care of guitars. Like from band to band, the guitars always sound really good. Um, and the guitars sound really good on this album. Um, I believe Patrick Stump played his SG. He plays a Gibson SG. I thought that Joe Troman played a, um, I thought he played a Washburn, but in the video he plays a Telecaster. If that's what he's playing on this, like even more Bravo, because it's you got to throw a lot of fuzz or something on there to make a Telecaster sound like that. Um, but it sounds really good. Although I wouldn't be surprised either if like Patrick played all the guitar parts, because <laughs> 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 he's he's just that good. Um, Neil, I think Neil Laverne described him as a tactician or the technical person, or no technician. My bad. He was like Pete Wentz was the was the vision guy. And he was like, Patrick Stump was the technician. He, he arranged all the songs. He was the one that did all the pre-production work with Neil. Um, but so some things about this song, of course, he slurs the words in the chorus, said he did that on purpose. Um, I later found out that him and Pete did not agree on the chorus. He didn't like the chorus. So I would not be surprised if he did that on purpose <laughs> because he just didn't like it. Uh, well, yeah, that was the kind of the division of the workload. Um, uh, Patrick would write the music. Pete would write the lyrics yeah. and the song titles, apparently. Yeah. Um, so uh, Patrick Stump said that told the Rolling Stone that he, yeah, he literally stirred the words to make it sound better. 
<laughs> he was trying to do a straight punk song for fun. And he saw those lyrics and just kind of barked them out. But there was something about the rhythm of it where it was like, hmm, that actually might be too good for just a shitty punk song. And the label didn't like it either. <laughs> they went through 30 changes and then went back to the way it first started as yeah. far as recording that. Um, well, here's the thing. Yeah, Neil Avron asked them to rewrite. So he asked them to rewrite the verse. And I actually found if there's a video on YouTube from 2004 of the original verse, and it is very, I mean, very different. Let's see if we can find it. I can, I'll, I can text you a link. Actually, if you just type in um, Sugar We're Going Down, old version, Fallout Boy, you probably find it. But like the verses, it's very, very, very different. Sounds like it could work on another song, but not this song. Um, AOL Sessions. That's a cover. Uh, yeah, send the link if you got it. I'll te- can I, you want me to text it to you? Yeah. Oh, that didn't do it. I seen he did a cover of it at um for live from Daryl's house. Yeah, and it was very good. Um, Daryl's drummer is amazing. Yeah. Well, I want it. Let's just do it that way. And there's a lo-fi cut version. Not sure what. Back when people were doing all the remixes. Oh, it's only made an 80s remix. I'm very curious to hear how that sounds. I wonder if someone made like a more emo remix. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's 10% whinier vocals. Did you get it? Yeah, here we go. Okay. All right. I won't play. Hold on. Here we go. Looks like from a live performance. Yeah. something that's totally different oh yeah oh yeah not even close and then just goes right into (laughs) yeah just it's like that doesn't make any sense and then of course pete wentz screaming because he's pete wentz So yeah, totally different version there. Um, yeah, he said he heard it, didn't really like it, and he challenged them to rewrite it. So, um, so yeah, I didn't. Uh, I did, I remember this song just being around a lot, and, and people still, I think today, even like come back to it. Um, and uh, it's been. Uh, it was featured in the movie The Fog. So it was featuring a horror movie. Um, Taylor Swift has covered it 
<laughs> she covered it on her Speak Now tour. Yeah, I've I've heard it, but I don't. Yeah, it's, it's decent. Uh, Haley Williams from Paramore joined them to do the song as part of a Super Bowl show, Super Bowl Blitz show, and they used a sample of the song in "What a Catch, Donnie," and then referenced it in the song "Save Rock and Roll." Yeah, that that that's from Folia Du, which is their um, their experimental album. Yeah. Their kid A, I guess you could say. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for some reason, like at the end of that song, What a Catch, Donnie, they just start like at, over the music singing their old lyrics. It's the weirdest thing. The weirdest thing. I don't get it. It, d- get it didn't work. Around. And, and, and I'm coming, this is coming from a person who actually liked that album for what it was, but that just did not work. Um, so, uh, that was their first, their first single. Their second one is, I guess the one that I heard the most because of playing Madden 06 and that was, uh, dance, dance. Um, I think their the video I think was more, um, I guess more straightforward as the, as I guess promotion, because with like you said, with Sugar going down, it's a boy with antlers, and um, what else happened in that? I think like the father didn't like him, but then you find um, out the father's part deer or something. Yeah, well, uh, the uh, music is about a boy who has deer antlers. While he's walking around, the younger boy throws a shirt at one of his antlers. Mm-hmm. A young, while you're sitting at a cemetery, a kite falls onto one of his antlers, and a girl tries to recover it. The girl meets the boy and they become friends. The girl's father isn't happy with his daughter in a relationship. With the boy who has their antlers and asks him to leave his daughter alone. Frustrated, the boy decides to cut off his antlers with a variety of tools, but is stopped by the girl. <laughs> Later, the couple goes to a bowling alley. When the girl's father sees it, sees the daughter with the boy again, he decides to try to shoot the boy with the bow and arrow, but fails as a car rams into him. The boy tries to help the father and notices that the father's feet are deer hooves. The father yeah. then lets his daughter be with the boy and the music videos cut to the band members performing the song. <laughs> um, so yeah, I remember, yeah, the I do remember there weirdest. were, there were deer antlers involved. The weirdest video. <laughs> so I thought they would be like, Oh, they're one of those like kind of quirky bands that would, you know, go a little over the top with their music videos. Yeah. But then with dance, <laughs> dance, it's a dance. It's a yeah. it's a it's a school dance and everybody's um I think the only thing that may have been quirky about it is that they were wearing like was everyone like wearing leisure suits or something? Um, I can't recall. Yeah. I just know a like, lot of their friends are there. Yeah. They bring them into every videos. They they Macklemore it, man. They just bring everyone <laughs> they bring everyone along. <laughs> so um yeah, dance dance is the one that I'm um most familiar with and for a for a rock song that that you could actually dance to you don't get a lot of these songs anymore a lot of these songs aren't made anymore um at the at the dance then it's just it's mostly the uh it's mostly rap and hip-hop maybe some edm sprinkle in there 
um, but nothing like this. There's nothing yeah. gonna, that's going to sound close to this. Um, well, you know he was trying to write, don't you? Um, what was he trying to write? He was trying to write Modern Love. Oh, yeah, there yeah, David Bowie. Yeah, I just read that. This send up, song. Yeah, Modern Love, which I noted learning that just goes to show what his influences are compared to the rest of the band. You know, Joe, who's a guitar player and the, and the drummer, both come from a hardcore background. They played in hardcore bands. They formed a super group, metal group later in life. But like, if you look at where Patrick went, and I know you you were a fan of his first album. So Like, funk. it is yeah. nothing. It is nothing like, <laughs> like Fall Out Boy. Like, his heavy electronic influences, R&B, hip hop influences. It, he, it was, it was a, a Prince end up, basically. Yeah, if Prince made a punk album, <laughs> <laughs> this is the closest it would be. Um, played everything. Yeah, that's just, so it's, I'm not surprised that he would, you know, try to throw in a, a David Bowie reference <laughs> on an album because he probably just, you know, how else is he going to get it out, right? So, of course, there are a lot of cover songs that's included in a lot of places. But you know who he had to, who Pete Wentz had to stop from them making a cover of his song, of this song? Ooh. Kids Bop. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. See? Oh, God, that'd be awful. Um, he he prevented them from doing this song because of the sexual overtones to the song. They would have just changed the lyrics, Pete. That's probably why he, he didn't want He, he didn't want that. <laughs> he, he knew what was going to happen. He knew. It would be, uh, <laughs> like, uh, uh, Maddie B. You remember Maddie B? Oh, God. I'm sorry. Me and your daughter, yes. that guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he did a cover of uh, "Juicy" by Biggie. Oh, I did. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know, now you know. Playa, no. playa, playa. <laughs> Matty B had that had that that ten to twelve year old riz, man. Like, <laughs> the girls is going crazy over Matty B. <laughs> I, did, I forgot about that. Like that's I was curious what he was gonna say. I watched the video just to see what he would say. Um <laughs> <laughs> That'd have been funny. That should that whole thing uh, with Maddie B, that should not have worked. Just because yeah. or I kinda look at it also as like the precursor to um whatever I can't remember the name of the company that we got Rebecca Black's Friday. Oh God! I think it was Capricorn something or another. So for those um, who, who don't who don't recall, with Rebecca Black's Friday, that was it was a company that you paid a certain amount of money. They would write an original song, you record it, they mix and master it, they'd shoot a video and then re and release it. You get all of that as Arc part of the music package. Factory. Arc Music Factory. Yeah. I think Maddie B was the precursor to something like that. When did Maddie B come out? Let's see here. Cause I almost put him in like the realm of like a um like a Cody Simpson. Yeah, okay, yeah, possibly. Cause he was out in twenty ten. 
Yeah. He's from Duluth. That's why I, he begged to do that outcast. He begged to do Miss Jackson. He begged to do that song. <laughs> it, you know, actually thinking back, he probably was a huge outcast. <laughs> He's like, come on, bruh. I'm from Atlanta. You're from Duluth. Close enough, man. Please. Can I please? As a matter of fact, he. Pr- it would be funny if he wanted to do something like older from like Equimini or something. <laughs> he, he, he wanted to do Spodiote. <laughs> Can I do skewed on the Barbie? No, Maddie B. No, no one's gonna know that one. Come on, man. <laughs> oh God, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. I did not know he was from Duluth. Mm. That's that's so. origin Swanee, Georgia, born in Duluth. That's crazy. In his pip, in his Wikipedia picture, he's got on a Braves hat, representing. Oh man. So um with uh with Dance Dance, this is um uh, well the continuation of the video is uh this ain't a scene, it's an arms race from that was on Fully Ado or Infinity on High? No, that was on um Infinity on High. Okay. Also produced by No Laverin. So the that's like part two. Uh, to dance, dance, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, and in the video, it was filmed in New York. It includes um, a cameo from Ben Jorgensen from Armor for Sleep and Travis McCoy from Gym Class Heroes, and um, I believe, uh, oh yeah, it was it was uh, a TRL All Star. Oh um, yeah, I can't remember the exact number of times that it would play before they retired it, but it was retired. It was a video that was retired on TRL. I see a video, and also Katrina Bowden. If y'all are fans of Thirty Rock, was also in the video. And let's see if it won any awards. It won the VMA for Viewer's Choice. And it won the Much Music Video Award, which is like Canada's VMAs, for favorite international group. <laughs> and it won a Teen Choice, two Teen Choice Awards, one for Rock Track and one for Single. So 2006 was a, a big year for that song. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a couple of notes about, I guess, the making of the album. So as I said, Patrick Stump, uh, wrote the music. Pete Wentz wrote all the lyrics. Yeah, it's kind of something they started doing with "Take This to Your Grave," which, if I'm not mistaken, it was recorded in two weeks. "Take This to Your Grave" was recorded in two weeks. Yeah, so that was breakneck as opposed to this one. You know, they were able to kind of take their time um, yeah. and record this one. So this album has 13 songs, and um, they had been writing some stuff here and there, and then two weeks before they started recording, yeah, they got rid of ten songs <laughs> and wrote, and eight, wrote more. eight more songs. Um, so I I think them getting to take their time to craft the songs that they wanted, you know, that's something I don't. Know, do you think like artists get that anymore, where they get the 
they will get the time to focus on writing a good song rather than yeah. trying to get that hit single out. Yes and no. Yes, because, you know, they don't really put out albums anymore. It's all singles. Yeah. So you can take your time and get it right because you your focus is that one song. But also, too, you know, if you're trying to stay relevant, you got to put out you got to put out material. You got to put it out fast. Otherwise, your audience will forget you. They'll move on fast, very fast. So I think there's that it's kind of a double edged sword. Like you've got extra time, but you got to do it now. Still kind of like, you know, extra time because your your focus isn't split, but you've still got to put out material quick. Yeah. Um, So back in 2004, 2005, when this is being recorded, it's um, at least they got the space to (laughs) to uh, compare to the first album. You know? Yeah. And uh, uh, Neil Laverne as well. He's big on pre-production. Um, didn't want to do the album at first. Didn't like them. Heard their music and passed. Hmm. Their manager came back and, and was like, hey, check out these two songs, though, because he's like, I don't hear the good songs. He gave him another demo with Dance, Dance and Sugar were going down. I was like, these will be smashes. And <laughs> Neil was like, uh, I don't know if they'll be smashes, but they're good songs. So. He agreed to go out. He went out to see them play and then met with them and agreed to do the album and did like a week of pre-production in Chicago and then another week or two in L.A. as well. So he wanted to have as much worked out before going into the studio as possible. And that's also, I guess, unique. Um, like you said, like if he's in the pre-production, like having that preparation, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like when you see in, in a lot of movies, especially with like when they're like fight scenes or yeah. dance numbers, there's a lot of rehearsal that oh, goes yeah. into, into that before they even start filming the movie yeah. as a whole, you know, like, okay, we're going to have these scenes. You need to work on this before you get to set. So it'd be the, before the day one on the set, they're working on, um, on certain things, especially if it, especially if there's fight choreography, you know, Mm-hmm. I'm sure there, I, I don't know what the process of like, when it was like, um, like any movie with like Jackie Chan, who's doing all his own stunts. <laughs> I would hate to be in a movie with him. <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I would hate it, man. Like so, I heard that puts a hurting on your body because he doesn't like the quick cuts. Yeah. So you got to be able to fight because he's like, oh, if you make the quick cuts, it's, you know, you, you don't get the impact of the hit. And he was like, you know, that's what they do in Hollywood because they can't fight. So it was like yeah. wide shots of fights. It's got to be exhausting. <laughs> I remember you t- and and there was one. Um, I don't know if you told me or somebody else told me, but there was a scene I think in either in Rush Hour or it might have been Rumble in the Bronx. There's one scene where um, either he like jumped onto a car or off a roof or something, and he actually broke oh, he his, breaks foot. his foot. Rumble in the Bronx. Yeah, at the end he jumps off. See, the Rumble in the Bronx or Super Cop, one of those. So he jumps off of that thing onto the car that's on the street, the hovercraft car, and yeah, he breaks yeah. his foot and keeps going. It keeps going, and then they had to like, uh, I don't know if they do reshoots or something, but a special shoe was made to still make it look like a a, a, a real shoe, yeah. <laughs> but to it was film a with a broken foot, yeah. Because the dude's crazy. He's crazy, man. That's why no. One, that's why no one will insure him. Yeah. It probably would have cost a lot, like we mentioned before, he was supposed to be in um, 
uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. Michelle Yeoh's role with that, the, that part was written for him. Um, and he couldn't do it. So, or he turned it down. I'm not sure, but it probably would have cost more just to insure him for some of the stuff that happens in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, They well with the third the third single was a little less sixteen candles a little more touch me as we referenced already um, in this music video also directed by Alan Ferguson who directed the first the first two at least at least the previous one uh, the band is a team of vampire hunters um, <laughs> <laughs> trying to defend their town. And, I've heard that the opening yeah. is supposed to be a send up of the Lost Boys, but yes. don't shoot me, people. I've never seen Lost Boys. So uh, I've put it on my playlist of things to watch, but I've never seen it. Lost Boys is. Uh, um, it's got Jack Bauer, right? <laughs> Jack Bauer. Yeah. Uh, Robert Patrick. Um, oh, snap. Okay. I think it's yeah. uh, uh, T1000, uh, right? No, no, not T1000. No, T2, that's, that's Robert Patrick. It has Jason Patrick. Oh, um, didn't he? He ended up being a Terminator in another movie. Oh, I don't know. Because he was also, he replaced Keanu in Speed 2. Uh, yeah. Cruise Control that, that I never saw. Um, uh, it has the both Corys, Heyman Feldman, Jamie Gertz, okay. who may really only be known now for being uh married to the owner of Hitland Hawks. <laughs> um Diane Weist, who had won an Academy Award at the time. <laughs> uh oh, but it was it was directed by Joel Schumacher. And um <laughs> the- I heard he uh I'm not gonna say that on <laughs> I, I can get canceled for that. Uh, I'll let Alan yeah. Young say it if you ever meet him. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also had um, Edward Herman, Billy Worth. Those are the only people. Oh, Alex Winter from uh, Bill and Ted. He played Bill. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah. And I think someone uh, also said that it's also fim- sil- filmed similarly to Blade. Yeah, that was another thing I read as well. And also a lot of uh, cameos. William Beckett from the Academy is, and Michael Carden from the Academy is, Brandon Urie's in it, uh, Spencer Smith from Panic at the Disco, Travis McCoy. Um, yeah. Travis McCoy was in a lot, was like around a lot, because he's also in This Ain't a Scene. It's an arms race. Yeah. They must have really liked him. Like, hey, you want to go? <laughs> what you doing? You want me to video? All right. <laughs> this this is our new guy. He was like Mickey Free. This is our new guy. <laughs> oh. I was trying to play the song. Trying to play it through my mixer and apparently that didn't work. So we're gonna try it through here. There we go. <laughs> Uh, so this is a little less 16 candles, a little more touch me. I love the drums. Very bouncy. Feel to it. Some really nice feels. Yeah. I love this one, though. Some fun lyrics. Yeah. 
think this was the this charted number 65 on the Hot 100. I think this was the yeah. So only three singles were released from this album. This was the last one uh, released in uh, oh on my birthday in 2006. <laughs> oh snap! Really? Yeah. So at this point, the album had been out for nine months, ten months. Um. So yeah, so the the run wasn't as as long. Oh no, actually the no that was the second single. When did the album come out? Okay, so yeah, it had been it had been um it had been out for ten months. Interesting enough, Sugar We're Going Down is the first single. Dance Dance didn't come out as a single until six months later. Hmm. So I wonder why the the delay. I'm curious. I mean, it was a time where I think that you could still push a single for that long before the second. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, hell, yeah. that the in between dance, dance, and a little, and this one from October to March. So yeah, just let it simmer. Yeah. Let it build. Um. So yeah, so this is definitely a. Uh, one of the last albums, I guess, you would hear to where there was kind of where it had that kind of release schedule. You don't definitely hear about something like that anymore. Yeah. Um, and um, I didn't find any information about why they wouldn't have released another single. Um, is there anything that you think that might have been uh, that could have been another single and maybe push the album forward in that way? Or do you think three was enough? Um, if I were to say, um, maybe sophomore slump or comeback of the year, hmm. I would say, um, it has a nice chorus to it. I still remember seeing, um, I saw a band play this once, a band of teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> At a graduation party, they were hard to play it. Um, but yeah, I think if there's another song that could have been a, a single, it could have been this one. Um, yeah, it's, it's like the chorus is very catchy. You've got a feature from William Beckett from The Academy Is on the bridge. I want to thank the guitar. No, never mind. That's the second album. The guy from New Found Glory played a solo on the second album. Um, but yeah, William Beckett features on this one. I think, yeah, this could have been a single, definitely. I think. Um, Are you familiar with this one? That familiar with this one? I, I'm not. Um, yeah, it should have been a, I think it could have, should have been a single, but I don't know why they only did three. I don't know if they were in a hurry to get out the next album because when Infinity on High came out, I guess like less than a year after, I think. The last single, so March 2006 is when A Little Less 16 Candles came out. And Infinity on High comes out in February. So less than a year oh, later. Uh, yeah. Um, for Infinity on the, High, uh, their first single for that came out nine months after the last single. Yeah. So there might have been that rush, you know, to get to another album to really capitalize. I don't yeah. know. 
But yeah, I could I would have put this one out. Sometimes I think about our lawyers, but I don't know. Those the first two um songs are also standouts for me, but I don't think they're singles. But I do think this one's a single. Um as far as like describing some of the other songs, um Pete Wentz did describe uh I've got a dark alley and a bad idea that says you should shut your mouth, parenthesis summer song. Uh, mm-hmm. as looking in the mirror and not feeling safe in your own skin. So, it's funny you mentioned that song next, because that is actually my favorite song on the album. Yeah. So, back when downloading music <laughs> illegally was still a big thing, um, I you know downloaded this album. I did, don't worry guys, I did end up buying Infinity on High and Folia doing Save Rock and Roll, so I made up for it. <laughs> but um, this was one that I would listen to over and over and over again. Like, I love this song. And it's probably the most mellow song in the whole album. Um, but it's, it's definitely my favorite. And I don't know why. I don't know if it speaks to me or anything like that. I know it's a very personal song for Pete Wentz. If you pay attention to the lyrics, you can kind of hear how it could be, you know, but um, it just, it was, yeah, I would just listen to my, you know, in my dorm, not my dorm, because I was living, we were in River Place by then, but like, I would just put this on repeat and just listen to it in my headphones and yeah. If you walked by me on campus that year, I was probably listening to this. I had on headphones. So with, um, like I said, with this album compared to Take This to Your Grave, which was recorded in two weeks. Uh, I believe this album was is recorded over two months, <laughs> so they got a little more time. Still doesn't feel like a long time, though. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, and the band wanted to make something that was. I saw um an interview. I think I think he was referencing uh this album, but with Pete went saying that um he wasn't sure about working with Neil Avron, but Patrick Stump kind of uh, he um, he suggested him he wanted to work with him and um, what the band wanted as a whole they didn't want to make an album that sounded like Take This to Your Grave they didn't want to make that again mm-hmm. they wanted to make something as they said a lot more developed and uh, they said this time we had more time to sit with the songs and make them work and more of a chance to plan things out to us. We're throwing the fight, but we didn't write a record. That's throwing a fight. We wrote a record that means a lot to us, but maybe isn't going to mean a lot to the people who are hyping us as the next big thing. And that's fine. We don't want to be the saviors or anything. We just want to be ourselves. We made a record we really like, and that's all we ever wanted. I'm curious what made Pete Wentz, uh, not Pete Patrick, want to work with him. Like I'm looking at what he did before, and there's some class. I mean, like "Newfound Glory" by "Newfound Glory," it's got hit or miss. That's a pop punk classic. Um, you've got uh, "Ocean Avenue," which is also, uh, I think, like in that early era of pop punk, moving into emo. Yeah, was also a classic. So I'm, maybe that's what he heard. Catalyst also a great album. Um, funny he made Make Believe and 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 Under the Quirk Tree that year, which is funny. Make Believe I believe had um, Beverly Hills, 
by Weezer. Yeah. On that, that's interesting. I need to see if he did the mixing or if he did the, all the production. But I'm just curious what like made him want. To, well, and also, I'm sorry, the first two um, Everclear albums, so much for the Afterglow and Songs from an American Movie, Volume One, which a uh, guy who I used to play with calls the best produced album he's ever heard. Hmm. Apparently, I've never sat down to really just pay attention, but he was like, "Oh yeah, it's the best." He's like, they suck live. It was the worst show I've ever been to. But he was like, that album was like masterfully produced, mixed, mastered, everything. Um, so I'm just curious what 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 made him want to work with him. I mean, there's I know there's those albums that I mentioned, but were those enough to make him be like, oh yeah, there's no laboring guy? Like I really, you know, or did someone suggest him? You know? Uh yeah. I didn't I didn't um I, he didn't go into depth as far as the connection, but he he said mm-hmm. that that's who Patrick wanted. And I thought that was um, uh, I, I mean, I wasn't I'm not familiar with with Neil Averin, but to. But I mean, based on what he's done, maybe they, you know, they I think they were just looking for the opportunity to kind of branch out their sound. Would you say that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's funny because I saw something where he said, like, we were we wanted to go in a they were kind of nervous about going in a different um, direction, even though he's like looking back on it now, it wasn't that different of a direction, but that's, that's essentially what they were trying to do. They didn't want to make another take this to your grave. Yeah. Um, so look at the, uh, the uh, critical reception of this album. Uh, so mostly positive reviews. Um, it got a, but it did get a 3.6 out of 10 from IGN, a B plus from Entertainment Weekly. Um, uh, Johnny Lothis of All Music said, musically, Cork Tree's first five tracks are relentless with razor sharp melodies that seem familiar but sound totally unique at the same time. The OOs and punchy chords of of all the gin joints in all the world are a thrill greater than any Jimmy Eat World album ever. Ooh, <laughs> shots fired. Um, says here also, uh, Sugar We're Going Down's halftime shifts are triumphs of tumbling words, and the opening track meditates Riley on all ages shows fame. Furthermore, when Fall Out Boy rip into sophomore slumper comeback of the year, summer 2005 will not be able to ignore them tell you man that could have been a single <laughs> that could have been a single dude uh of course there were some mixed reviews um well entertainment weekly they they gave it a b plus and they said uh called it a peppy pop punk aimed at the warp tour crowd if the infectious songs don't get you the snarky titles will uh, in Rolling Stone, they gave it three out of five stars, saying their knack for crafting ginormous soaring anthems is in full force, even with its demented, inscrutable lyrics. Sugar We're Going Down will likely be still be blasting from radios 10 years on. And it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, Robert Christgau gave it a C plus, saying these Warp Tour cover boys aren't terrible. But are they ever ordinary? Only their record company would claim that emotional vocals, dramatic dynamics, poppy, punky tempos, and not actually all that catchy tunes 
add up to their own sound. He's 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 overwrought sometimes. <laughs> he might be the Sean Penn of music critics. <laughs> And I said IGN gave it 3.6 out of 10 saying pop punk had to begin somewhere. And when it rains, it apparently pours. Fallout Boy is merely another addition to a stable bursting at the seams. What does that even mean? This is why I didn't become a music critic. I want it to be one. And then I just was like, I just don't know if I can, you know. I don't know. Um, It is also listed, um, well, by Rock Sound, which is out of the UK, ranked number seven in 101 Modern Classics. Uh, They also ranked at number 14 on the most essential pop punk albums of all time. And Rolling Stone ranked at number nine among the 40 greatest emo albums of all time. 49? Number nine out of 40. Oh, 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 God. I'm That's still too high. I mean, too low, I mean, I should say. Yeah. Let's see if we can find what What's, there. Which, who did you say this was again? Rolling Stone. Oh, I think I read their list. And I think number, I forget what number one was, but I didn't agree with it. They do hate everything, so. <laughs> if if uh, this is the list I'm thinking of, I want to think three cheers for Sweet. They put three cheers uh, for Sweet Revenge over it. Number and eight, American. Jimmy World. Number eight is Bleed American. Mm-hmm. Um, who do we have next? Number seven, Captain Jazz, Burritos, Inspiration Point, Fort Balloon Sport. I never, I don't know. Okay. Uh, number six, American Football. Number five, Braid, Frame and Canvas. Number four, Jawbreaker. Number three, The Promise Ring. Number two, Rights of Spring. And number one, Sunny Day Real Estate. Real Estate, yeah. It's a cop, that's a cop-out choice. Just because they're first doesn't mean they're the best. Or not first, I should say, but some people would say Fugazi's first, but okay. they would also say that Sunny Day Real Estate was the first band to be called emo. Whereas Fugazi was the first band to play emo-styled music, so I don't know. Um, so, uh, this album peaked at number nine on, well, debuted at number nine on the billboard 200. Um, it was their first top 10 album and ended up selling over 2 million copies in the U S 7 million worldwide. And it peaked at number two on the billboard 200. And it was their highest charting album to date until infinity Ohio debuted at number one. And then American Beauty, American Psycho also debuted at number one. Yeah, they're almost unrecognizable at this point. Um, I believe Neil Avron's been there for every album they've done, including their latest. Um, I know on Save Rock and Roll, they partnered up with Butch Walker amongst a couple of other people because I think they liked what he did on Vices and Vultures by um, Panic at the Disco. And I think Butch Walker has informed their sound for the rest of their career. I, I think I think that's fair to say. Like he basically, if if anything, I'd I'd go out and, and I mean right now it could be a little uninformed, but I still credit Butch Walker with the sound of pop rock right now. 
Like he made it, he made some albums that sounded huge and started using drum machines for the drums instead of drums. And next thing you know, like we have this new pop rock sound. And I think him and Tyson Tracks, aka Dr. Luke, working with Max Martin, pioneered what pop rock would be for the next 15 to 20 years and what it still is right now, I think. Mm. Yeah. Um, there was something else I wanted to ask you because I had some couple of, oh yeah so when does this this uh this uh someone asked me this question and I wanted to ask you so Patrick Stump is the lead singer but Pete Wentz becomes the uh the front man the front man in a way mm-hmm. um I know you've been critical of his bass playing. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I knew we were going here. But he does oh write. He does write the songs. So he writes the lyrics. Well, the lyrics, the lyrics. Yeah, the lyrics. So I wanted to know what is your perspective on <laughs> Pete Wentz being the most, the more popular guy in the group, but he's not the lead singer. I mean, it happens. I mean, apparently he's incredibly shy. So I think that's funny that he's the considered the front man because he was so shy. There's a spoken word part in Get Busy Living or Get Busy Dying at the end that he recorded in a bathroom because he was too shy to record it in the recording studio. Like apparently, like Neil Aaron said, he, is in, he was incredibly shy because they've worked together for a very long time. And he's like, yeah, he's really, he's really shy and talked about how like basically, because I think one of the reasons he's the front man is because these songs are all about him. You know, he's like, as you, as the albums progress, essentially these are different parts of his life, <laughs> what he was going through. Like, you know, he was depressed and suicidal onto being um, in the spotlight and being talked about. And to becoming a celebrity and being, you know, just kind of living his life and, and you know, so and it's, it's it just seems, yeah, it's like this, he just creates this persona, like he's bigger than life on stage and shy in, in, in real life and just created this, you know, this persona. It's, 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 I don't know how to explain it. I, I would think that Patrick Stump would be shy, but I don't, I don't know if he is. But it just seems like, you know, Patrick Stump seems happy not being the quote unquote front man, even though he's the singer. And a lot of people consider him to have one of the best voices in punk. You know, he's clearly the most talented person in the band. I don't think that's there's a question about that. Like he is the most talented person in Fallout Boy. Um, and I think even though Pete Wentz is the front man, I don't think it can exist without either of them. Yeah. Like if Pete goes away, you don't have the introspective lyrics that like really just speak to like emo people, not emo people, that sounds bad, but to like, you know, emo fans, I should say. And, but without Patrick Stump, you don't have someone who can take those thoughts and organize them because that was another thing I read when they're, when they're writing lyrics, when Pete was just writing lyrics, he's not writing them to a tune. He's like, sometimes he'll give them a paragraph and like, Patrick is taking the lyrics and he's like, he acts, Neil said he acts as like an editor. Like he'll take these lines and these paragraphs or whatever 
from from Pete and he'll just edit them and and to where they sound singable. And he said a lot of the headbutting that comes between them is like when Patrick spends all this time taking these thoughts, turning them into lyrics, and then Pete comes in and is like, I don't really like that. <laughs> what? <laughs> and he's like, Why Patrick's you write doing lyrics. Like, <laughs> he's like, he's doing these like intricate harmonies that take all this time to do. And he was like, by the time they got to Folia Du, that's why that they call that album a uh, one big argument. Because he was like, by this point, they're all famous. Yeah. Um they're they're all famous. They're all living in different states. So he was like, there's not that cohesiveness. So he's like, they're not even in the studio half the time at the same time. So like he's like, me and Patrick might spend four hours working on something, only to have Pete come in and say, I don't like it, change it. Like <laughs> and so that he said the song I don't care was a diss track to Pete Wentz. <laughs> Cause he was just like there was something they were working on. He got mad, he was like, you know what, I don't care. And he just wrote it there in the studio <laughs> <laughs> about Pete Wentz. And I just couldn't help but laugh. But it starts back when, you know, you're getting on on this album, you're getting paragraphs and you're putting them together and and hoping they fit. You know, because he's the front man. He's the one with the ideas. He's the one who will put himself out there. And, and he's the one who at the end of um, what well, this ain't a scene, this enormous race puts his bass down, walks up on the speaker and does a stage dive like he's that guy. Even if you watch their performances, he's the most he's the most lively one, which is why I question sometimes if he's playing bass. <laughs> is he actually playing <laughs> or if it's a backing track? <laughs> Now, I did tell you about that story once with our old bass player from Token White, where we were watching Story of the Year, and the guy puts his bass down to do something, and the music doesn't stop. The bass line keeps going. <laughs> and we were like, hey, Eric, why don't you wear your bass low like that guy? He's like, because I actually play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, that's why I question this, you know. I mean, I know he plays Fender jazz basses, but does he really play Fender is he jazz actually basses? Playing? <laughs> um, Don't know, because <laughs> it's interesting that with the the that's got to be a tough songwriting process, you know, in a in a band yeah. dynamic like that, where a guy just there it's not the guy writing lyrics necessarily, like like not per se lyrics, but they just write down something. And it's left to someone else to kind of like decipher it, yeah, uh, and to turn it into something. Um, that's that's got to be tough when it's and when 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 it's really up to the person who wrote the paragraph <laughs> to mm -hmm. determine if it's something that could be turned into a song. So that's definitely a, a tough dynamic to deal with, and. Uh, and maybe the arguments were quick, at least for this project, because, you know, for two months, they, they put together an album. Yeah. Which is, and a good one at that, like, yeah. which is crazy impressive that they were able to do that. And, you know, probably speaks to how talented both of them are, both Pete as an idea person and, and Patrick as the technician. Um. And, and and not to leave out Joe and Andy because they're not like you know they're not just chopped liver here. Um, Andy's an incredible drummer, 
um, and is ho really holding down the rhythm there for them. But I also think like, just like it, it's not a surprise that they've worked with the same producer for so long. You know, we could say this is probably one of those musical marriages kind of like that we've talked about in the past, Janet and, and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And I guess you could also say right now, Taylor Swift and Jack Antonoff, um, just that musical marriage that kind of comes together. You find that producer that understands you um, and where you go and, and grows with you in your career. Cause I mean, like, let's be real. If you're looking at the trajectory of Neil Laverne, he had some good albums before that, but like he got, he worked with some much bigger bands after that disturbed um, being one of them. Does he get the Sarah Bareilles album kaleidoscope? If he doesn't do these fallout boy albums, I don't know. <laughs> Cause he wasn't producing stuff like that before. So you just have to, you know, it's almost kind of interesting seeing their trajectory kind of go up on the same way, you know. I think that's interesting. Yeah, um, trying to see if there was any other. Um, I don't think this was nominated for any kind of award, other awards. Oh, and uh, Tom Lord Augie did some mixing on this, so like, of course he did. You had some heavy hitting. <laughs> He was everywhere. He has some heavy hitting <laughs> talent on this bad. album, you know. Um, see if anybody. Well, he said William Beckett played on "Sophomore Slump" or "Comeback of the Year" as a guest vocalist. Brandon Yuri was mm -hmm. on. Did vote backing vocals on Seven Minutes in Heaven." Parenthesis: Ada Van Halen. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, he loves the puns, dude. And Chad Gilbert of Newfound Glory was guest vocalist on I Slept With Someone in Fallout Boy and all I got was this stupid song written about me. Um So yeah, like I said, it went it went platinum in America, sold seven million around the world. Um but I think what well, I wanna ask you, what do you think is like as far as this album, because you suggested this album, right? Or was it me? I did, yeah. Yeah, it was on it was on the list. I, yeah, this was one I was just waiting to do for a while. Not that and that does not mean Greg stopped me. This is not like the Greg show or nothing like that. Greg did not stop me. This was an album I was kind of afraid to do for a while. Cause it's like, am I, you know, I don't know. It's just it's one of my favorites and I just want to do it justice. So yeah. Uh so what would you say is like the um as I always ask, the the lasting legacy of this of this album. Because for me personally, I, I would say this, this is the album that put Fall Out Boy on the map. It put emo bands on the map. And then, but it's not so, it, but it wasn't like that, that pure emo music, I guess. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they were already from uh, Take This to Your Grave to From Under the Cork Tree, they were already like evolving as a band. Um, so it wasn't what they weren't going to be the same band that they were with the first album, you know, yeah. and I, and it kind of brought them to a wider audience and there's probably like that fan base that felt that they sold out or turned like similar to like how fans think of Linkin Park as far yeah. as hybrid theory to Meteora. Um, but they had evolved and and we're yeah, doing some happens. different things and so i think this it happened in this case but at the same time it was they like i said they got they were on they were they 
put themselves on the map with this album and brought yeah brought ears eyes and ears to this genre even though this album isn't what that genre is uh typically known for what you would typically associate with it yeah it's funny because like there's like the waves of emo like sunny day real estate i believe is in that first wave and then like you've got the get up kids in that second wave and then the third wave which kind of started in the early 2000s you've got like taking back sunday you've got um you've got dashboard but like i believe that the legacy of this is that it proved that at least in my opinion fallout boy was the class of this wave of emo um it is a very close tie with my chemical romance but i edge out fallout boy because of their longevity they never stopped making albums you know mm. they never stopped evolving they became more than emo like they started out as emo and they became more than emo Whereas we got three cheers for Sweet Revenge, Welcome to the Black Parade, and then they just kind of left. <laughs> <laughs> like and they came back together, and people have been, you know, clamoring for more My Chemical Romance. And like, you know, like I know you're wrong, like pound for pound in terms of talent, they're way more talented man for man than Fallout Boy. But I don't think they're as creative. I don't, they don't have a Patrick Stump in My Chemical Romance to kind of guide them. Gerard Way is very talented. He's he's charismatic. He's a front man and all that stuff, but they don't have a Patrick Stump. That's their secret got, but, weapon. But Gerard Way has the, he's got the eyeshadow. He does. Mascara. He does. And teenagers scare him apparently. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, they just, and I mean, like, I mean, maybe that's the, the lasting legacy is like Pete, not, not Pete Wins, Patrick Stump is their secret weapon. You know, like he's the guy who basically, I mean, I guess, could we call him the Pete Wentz whisperer? <laughs> like if you're taking these like crazy, I don't say crazy, that's dismissive, but these like, you know, these unorganized thoughts, you know, from the mind of a very creative person organizing them, you're the secret weapon. You're arranging the music. You're making sure that everything, you're making sure this boat floats. You're the secret weapon. Um. And I think I, I I guess you could say that because also I don't has Pete Wentz written for anybody else? Not that I'm aware of, but I don't know. Did I wouldn't be. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised Ashley if Simpson he did when they were married. Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Let's see if he's got a discography of people that he's written for. Uh, what is black cards? Uh, maybe he did something for that. That was like an electronic side project he did, but I'm not seeing where he just wrote for people. Okay. I mean, who would want to deal with that though? I mean, <laughs> let's be real. Just hand like, here's a, here's press. a, yeah, here's a journal <laughs> entry. Make this a song. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I would, I would agree with that, that he's the, uh, Patrick Stump is the, the Pete Wentz whisperer. Um, and yeah, they they needed each other. Um, perhaps when Patrick Stump goes to make his his solo album, uh, you know, maybe that took a 
that took a lot of uh bravery and, and courage to even attempt that and to put it out based on based on what you what you've talked about. Yeah. Um but yeah, like I said, this this put the this put the band on the map and it put a genre on the map. Um and it was kind of the beginning of the end of the emo era, I think. Mm-hmm. Um perhaps it's gatekeeping. Um where the 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 hardcore fans turned on these bands that were getting popular. Um or it was just if it's emo music it's supposed to be emotional, maybe it's emotionally draining also. To, maybe to it's coming back though. With the, like the about the Midwest emo where the is it voicemail messages that start every song or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the emo revival is based off of Midwest emo, yeah. But it's it's there's supposed to be like an emo revival that's coming, and I mean some of the bands are pretty good. Um, you know, Carly Cos or something Cosgrove or something. I can't remember Carly Cro- Cosgrove or Miranda um, Cosgrove from iCarly. It's a it's a play off of that. Oh, it's a play off of that. And Mom Jeans, I know they've been one of my um, earworms, but they're trying to bring back that emo flag but they're all basically midwest emo like none of them are like fallout boy or my chemical romance it's all midwest emo (laughs) (laughs) at least all that i've heard i should say so with you saying the um sorry if i if i missed you saying i know you said fall boy is the class of this emo genre would you say this album is the class of the emo genre is it like oh, yeah. if someone I think asked overall, you about it, is this something that would be referenced early? I think so, yeah. I mean, they don't come around to the third wave. So, I mean, I guess if you're telling the history of emo, they come around later. But I think like kind of like how there was pop punk before Green Day. Like people forget sometimes, I think, that the Ramones existed before Green Day. And that was essentially pop punk music. Um, But dookie like kicked the door wide open like her plunk kind of like and then dookie boom you know and i think that's kind of what happened here take this to your grave was kind of like okay maybe this is something and then it's like okay they're here with from under the cork tree and that's why i kind of say like this was their this was emo or this wave of emos at the very least this was their dookie but i think this was just emo in general this was their introduction to the masses like some people will probably try to say, oh, it was popular before that. I mean, like Dashboard had a moment. I know we've said that on here before. Dashboard had a moment, but like it was nothing like what Fall Out Boy did and what they became after this. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if any band has come close. I mean, maybe My Chemical Romance, but um, other than that, I don't think anybody's come close to what Fall Out Boy, what out there, that pop, the, their popularity at that time. I don't think anyone yeah. came close to that. I think the closest maybe Paramore. They definitely yeah. didn't have the chart success that they had. And Paramore is also a band that has like them has transformed. Like yeah. Paramore is almost unrecognizable now, <laughs> both in members and style. Like they're they're like a indie pop indie rock. Well, like you know who people came to see. Weird. You know who people came to see. Haley. Oh yeah. That's that's they it. Came to see Haley. I can't name another member of Paramore. So I uh, started <laughs> following. I know the drummer's still there. 
Um, but everyone else is different. I think one of the guitar players named Brian Jones, black dude with an Afro, he's really good, but like, they're just so, so different. And it has split their fan base. Like right down the middle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, well, that would do it for our discussion on, uh, from under the cork tree from fallout boy. Um, yeah, you guys check it out. It it's it's a uh, it's a time capsule of an album. I would Ooh, say. Oh, I like that. I like that. I agree. Where it's 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 of its time, but when you listen to it, I think I think um yeah, you'll you may be under maybe able to understand some things uh about mm-hmm. that time. Um so we'll get to my uh, earworm of the week. Um this was on my uh was this on my eighties playlist? Or my Oh, I was about to say we lit. <laughs> no, the We Lit has been all but retired. Like it's still there, but I just haven't but gone back it don't to get it. no play. No. <laughs> um mm-hmm. so this is a band out of Canada that I had not heard of for uh I had not heard of until maybe a year ago. Um for those who like the the either dream pop or the called jangle pop, but that's just basically how the guitar sounds in the song. Um, a band called the pursuit of happiness. They're from Canada. That name sounds so familiar. And, uh, they had a song called she's so young. Um, it's not one of those songs. Okay. Uh, (laughs) so, (laughs) um, it sounded like one of those like pop rock songs that are on like the local college radio station and it becomes a hit. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one of those kind of songs. And um, it was produced their their album, the and including this song, was produced by Todd Rundgren. Oh, um, snap. Okay. Yeah. So um I know they they were very popular in Canada. Uh, it didn't really cross over into America like that. Uh, like I said, maybe on the college radio circuit. But uh, yeah, I I like I like this song. It's called "She's So Young" by The Pursuit of Happiness, and we'll be right back.
Alright, that is She's So Young by The Pursuit of Happiness from their album, The Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Love Junk is the name of the album. Uh, this song actually was not a single. It's not the song that they're most known for either. <laughs> it sounds it sounds like a Todd Rungan production, though. Like <laughs> it, it does. It sounds like some work he would do, which he would be interesting to do. Um, an episode on as well. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame now, isn't he? I, I know yeah. it took a long time. I think so. I always used to think of him as a member of the Cars, but I don't think he was ever an official member. He was just, I think he was just always cars adjacent <laughs> um, <laughs> back in the day. But um, is he in there, though? The Harkin Hall of Fame? I thought he was. I don't know. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. 2021. Yeah. So it took it took a while. Um. So, yeah, that will bring us to the end of this episode. Um. What should we end this episode with? I would suggest a song that didn't make the album, but was on later deluxe releases, which is one of my favorite songs by them. My heart is the worst kind of weapon. Great song. Is the and has Pete Wentz just written all over it? The lyrics do. All right, so this was on the on deluxe edition, um, limited tour edition. That's what it says. Mm. So, all right, we'll end the show with that. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you very, very soon. Peace. Peace. This is me wishing you into the worst situations on the